Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by Paul Tenorio, and we are going to get to MLS resumption of play, and we're going to spend the bulk of this show talking about that, but we would be remiss and completely out of touch if we did not begin this show with the far more important matters um, that are currently going on in our country and around the world, um, and the protest in response uh, to the to the killing, um, to the murder, really, of, of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Um, and to really the centuries of violence faced by black people and other people of color in this country. Um, I say this as a white man, as a 29-year-old white man from, frankly, a wealthy background. Um, I went to fantastic public schools. I went to a fantastic university. Uh, it was paid for in full by my parents. Um, I am the face, quite literally, of white power and privilege in this country. And I have done little to nothing in my life uh, to support the cause um, of justice and equal rights uh, for black people and other minorities in this country. I've thought the right things. I've said them out loud um, in private company and sometimes on Twitter, um, but I've done little to nothing to actually make an impact. And I say this again, recognizing that this is not my struggle. It's not. It is the struggle of the millions and millions of black people in this country and brown people and other minorities in this country, including, you know, my wife and her family. And, you know, if we have children, our future children. Um, and I say that as background to sort of inform my experiences. I have no excuse for having done so little in the past. I said it's not my struggle it's not. It's theirs. You know, I feel pain. I feel frustration. But I don't feel the same level. I don't feel it the same way. It is my responsibility as a white man, as someone who, you know, is part of the group that has historically and continues to hold the levers of power in this country, to try and change it. And I've taken some steps over the last week or so to try and do that. I'm going to share those steps um, to hold myself accountable. Um, this is not me trying to co-opt anything. I want to be very clear about that, and I want to be very conscious of that moving forward. Um, I would encourage everyone listening um, who is white to read White Fragility. I read it a few months ago. It's an important book. Um, it's so important that it's sold out basically everywhere right now. Um, I've ordered a few more books. I'm taking an online course um, at Yale uh, on African-American history from emancipation to the present, um, with a few friends. Um, more importantly, um, I'm listening. Um, I'm trying to amplify black voices. I'm trying to use my platform to do that. Um, and I'm not trying to make this about me. I'm really not. I want to be very conscious and clear about that. Like I said, um, but I do have a platform and I'm trying to use it in a way for positivity and for a more equal and just society for black people and for other minorities. And the most important thing I'm doing at least in these early stages to that effect, you know, apart from donating and from going out and participating in some of these, in some of these protests, um, is talking to my white friends and family. Um, some of whom are, are right there with me. Some of whom are right there with me and like me need a, need a little bit of a nudge and some of whom aren't quite as far along on this journey. And, you know, I need to talk to 
you know, kind of, kind of, uh, from, from step one or step zero and, and bring them along with me. Um, like I said, it's not my struggle, but it is my responsibility. And I want to just say that I support the black people out there who are leading this movement. Um, and I stand with them. Um, and I want to do what I can to help change, um, change things for the better. Uh, not, not just want, but I need to, and I plan to, and I hope saying this out loud will help hold myself accountable. Um, and you know, again, I'll say it again. Um, this isn't me trying to co-opt. This isn't me trying to score woke points. Um, this is me saying that this isn't my struggle, but I feel the pain and I feel the frustration and I'm trying to understand, I'm trying to educate. And I know that it is my responsibility as a person as a white man, as a person in a group who controls the levers of power in the society to change it. And I wanted to get that off of my chest before we started. Um, and Paul, I think you have something that you want to say too. Yeah. And first, you know, I, I appreciate you, um, sharing that. I think, I think that's such an important part of what everyone should be doing right now is kind of confronting these feelings that we're having that are being brought up by watching the video of what happened to George Floyd, of watching the the videos of what's happening now at protests around the country, of the police violence that's continuing, even knowing that cameras are trained on people, that this is something that's been going on for centuries and is continuing right in front of our eyes, even with all of the attention focused on it. And I think that... Um, you know, we are being confronted with what we are doing, if anything, to affect change. And that's been, you know, the big question that I've had to ask myself. Um, you know, I have felt guilt over the last few days and weeks, really, of, you know, not doing enough. And what is enough? And I don't think there is an answer to that. I don't think there isn't enough. I think the idea has to be that you know, this is something that you take on, not in the short term, but in the long term, that you educate yourself, that you're constantly trying to have these conversations to further educate yourself, to keep yourself a part of these conversations, to um, to be out at the protest, to be um, using your platform in different ways to help others come along, to contribute to the organizations that are doing everything they can to create change and to pull up black people to a place in this society where they can have something that approaches equality because we're so far away from that idea. And it goes beyond police brutality, which is still a major, major issue. But it goes to every aspect of society. And I think, you know, for me, there's been a struggle. I grew up in a mixed race household. My father is Latino born and raised in Costa Rica. My mother is a white woman. And, you know, I have seen and experienced racism against both me and my father. But I'm also a man who can pass as a white guy when I need to. And at times when I feel threatened. And that is a privilege that I have felt ashamed about. And that I also understand that a black person cannot cannot do in those moments, that there is a feeling 
you know, those feelings that I've had of, of being afraid that that is something that black people have to live with every single day in this country. And it makes me so sad to think about that. And I think as, as you said, I'm not trying to co-opt this conversation. I think the experiences of, you know, black people are different than the experiences of brown people. I think there are similarities to the struggles, but you know, what I hope to do is to use this current movement to push myself forward, to push myself to be more active, to continue to uh, have these conversations with my friends and family, to continue to uh, donate to organizations, to get more involved in those organizations, and to try to affect change. And I hope that I can do that. I don't think that I you know, was able to probably voice things as eloquently as I thought you did at the beginning of the show. But what I hope comes through is that, you know, I, I want to be a part of the change and I want to do everything I can to support the black community and to drive people into understanding that this is, this is something that we have to to fight against if you're, you know, if you're a white man or a white woman or a Latino man or a Latino woman or anyone else, you know, that's the only way that we're going to be able to affect change is if we're all a part of this. So, um, you know, whatever those, those different ways may be, I, I hope that those of you who are listening, you know, think about trying to do some of the things that Sam talked about or that I'm talking about and, and to understand what an important role you play in, creating the change that we're, that we're hearing so much about that needs to happen. Well, thank you, Paul. I think you said that a lot more eloquently than I did. I'm replaying my words in my head and I feel like I was a rambling incoherent mess. So I just want to say very briefly, um, again, this is not my struggle, but I feel your pain and I want to support and I want to self-examine and I want to educate and I want to listen. And I, like, like everybody else, like so many millions of you of other people out there, not millions of you listeners to this show. We don't, we're not quite at that level yet. Um, you know, I want to try and affect change too. And, uh, I'm committing to do that for the rest of my life. Um, and you know, it's long overdue. Um, but it's something that needs to happen, particularly from someone who is sitting in my position. Yeah, and Sam, real quick, I just also want to add, you know, we, we talked about this before in, in a couple conversations that we've had, but, you know, we do recognize now also that we have a platform that our jobs give, give us, that our, right. um, you know, social media gives us. And I hope and we aim our, our entire soccer team, but including the two of us, to be able to elevate black voices um, and white voices of, of people who are trying to discuss the the change that they're going through, which I think is an important part of this conversation, but especially black voices and black causes. And I hope anyone who's listening to this show that is involved in professional soccer or soccer around the country that may feel like they have a story to tell or may feel like they want to get something off their chest or to elevate um, you know, their message – you know, please feel free to reach out to either one of us through social media yeah. or um, in any way that you can can contact us because it is important to us when we talk about this 
that we we do want to use our platforms. We're very serious about that in trying to affect change. And um, and so I did want to offer that to anyone who may be listening to this show that that applies to. Hey, everybody, this is Taylor from The Total Soccer Show. Apologies for interrupting Paul and Sam, uh, but since they are both athletic writers, I did want to let you know that this episode of Allocation Disorder is brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, if you want to advertise with The Athletic or on this very show, you can go to theathletic.com slash podcast ads. Uh, once you're there, there's a quick survey where you can fill out your name, your email address, the name of your business, what you all do, or the website. There, there you have it. Uh, but then you can look at the different podcasts in your area because The Athletic does have... Lots of different podcasts for lots of different sports, but specifically lots of different individual team sports. So uh, Sam mentioned uh, being from Illinois earlier. If you go to Illinois, there's uh, you got a podcast for the Bears, a podcast for the Blackhawks, one for the Cubs, one for the White Sox, and you could sort of focus your advertising there if you're a Chicago business, uh, but you've got lots of other states to choose from obviously. So once again, go check that out and see uh, if there are podcasts that are right for you to advertise at theathletic.com slash podcast ads. Uh, thank you to The Athletic. Back to Paul and Sam. All right. Well, uh, we are soccer journalists, Paul, and we run a soccer podcast and we write about soccer and there's no way that is not terribly awkward to transition from that important conversation to one that's uh millions of times less important um but in the mls world is very important so let's just let's just dive in awkward and head first um you know maybe it's a belly flop maybe not a dive but um there was some significant mls news this week um the league is coming back uh, there are going to be games that in Orlando uh, in early July. The teams are going to head down there on June 24th or thereabouts to begin training. Um, the teams that are allowed to train in their home markets will, will probably head down a little bit later. Um, and they'll have a brief tournament in Orlando um, before, hopefully, um, for I think I think I can speak for you when I say hopefully and for all fans and for the league itself um, returning to regular season play in home markets um, sometime after the tournament ends which would be around the end of July um, so that's huge uh, you know the league has been suspended now for almost three months uh, due to the COVID-19 outbreak and you know it's coming back and there was a uh, it wasn't quite the easiest or prettiest process, was it, Paul? No, I mean I think that's putting it uh, mildly. You know, this this was a negotiation that I think, out of the three labor negotiations that I've covered now in my time, you know, covering MLS day in day out, this was the most tense, and this went the closest to a work stoppage that we've seen. And that includes back in 2015 when they went to the day before the season started. Didn't, wasn't there technically a strike in 2015? They voted that they voted on a strike <laughs> and then they said the strike would begin the next morning at 8 a.m. And then it we don't, did. we don't need to split those hairs. Both were very close. But, it, but I, but my point is, is like, even with that, this felt yeah. more tense. This felt, um more, more heated combative, for sure more heated yeah. yeah it felt like this was was different this was a change in decorum a change in the the kind of feeling of you know maybe maybe just in the power that that the players felt they had and the a change the, in trust and yeah and i think that um the fact that we're here talking today about games happening 
you know, I didn't know if that if this conversation was going to be happening on the weekend. You know, I, I, I was ready for a lockout. Well, I think it would behoove us to go back into the a little bit of the timeline because you say on the weekend, I think I know I was at a point this weekend and I think you were at a point this weekend when I was like, oh, this thing's done. We're, we're getting back. Like, it's just like a matter of time. They're a little bit apart on this issue and that issue. But, you know, most of everything is agreed to and, and the league isn't going to torpedo this and the players aren't going to torpedo this. Not at this point. And then like 24 hours later, Don Garber was threatening the union with a lockout. And it was kind of like, whoa, that took a turn. Um, so this did change quickly. And to echo your point, we, we wrote about this on, on Monday and we've, we're writing about it again, kind of as we, as we speak, we're taking a break from an article that we're, we're co-authoring to do this show. Um, and that'll be coming out on Friday, probably as, or Thursday rather as it is Wednesday tonight, right, Paul? I'm all over the place right now. I apologize. Um, the show and the article will both be coming out on Thursday. But yeah, I mean, you said it, that the main takeaway for me from this was not was that the devil was not in the details here. The players were not on the brink of walking away and the league was not threatening to lock them out um, because, well, the league was, but the players were not on the brink of walking away because 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 of any details they were on the brink of doing it because they were really angry about how the league handled this whole situation they felt that the communication was not there they felt that they were kept in the dark they felt that the tone was very unnecessarily adversarial and i think all of them under would understand that in a normal cba negotiation i'm not saying that they would like it but they would understand it but this isn't a normal cba negotiation you know, the league was initially asking players to go to Orlando for up to 10 weeks, two and a half months away from their families in the midst of a pandemic. They were asking them to take a pay cut on top of that. Um, they were asking them to make sacrifices in the CBA that they just negotiated, what, four months ago? Um, you know, and, and I get it. The, the league is losing money because of the pandemic. And I think the players understood that too. And they were willing to work with them. Um, and they were very upset at the adversarial tone and the threat of the lockout that we saw over the weekend really pushed them over the edge in a way that we hadn't seen before. It, it animated them, it unified them. And, you know, I think really, I think it's fair to say maybe for one of the first times in MLS history, certainly the first time since I've been covering the league, the players drew a line in the sand and didn't cross it. And the league came back to them at the moment of truth. Um, and I think that's really significant. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I want to go back to something you said that I thought was really important when we're discussing these these talks and these negotiations. And that, you know, today it felt like they tried to kind of, they being Don Garber um, in, his, in his public com comments, tried to kind of talk about things and normalize. Did you, did you just give Don Garber a royal we there, a royal they? Yeah, well, I mean, it was mostly him. I mean, Mark Abbott <laughs> was on the call as well, but... <laughs> um, but I, I think that it was like, you know, the, the, the tone of the comments today was that, you know, this is, a this is how labor negotiations go. They're often very difficult and these are difficult times. And I think like that last part was the most important part. It, it colored everything about these negotiations and it especially did so with the lockout. I mean, a lockout during a pandemic means the loss of health benefits during a pandemic. 
And there was already all of this insecurity about what coming back to play would mean during a global pandemic. Leaving your family would mean during a global pandemic to throw the stress of losing, potentially losing your health care on top of all of that. You know, I think that was um, a massive step for the league to take. You know, they talked about not taking it lightly, but... I don't understand how we can talk about it without acknowledging that the baseline idea of a lockout would have been taking away health benefits from players. And I think that's right. how they, 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 the, they being the players have kind of talked about this afterward is that they're, they're they felt Dirty, like there was a real even. damage done to the relationship. Yeah. And, and I want to be clear, it's not just taking away health benefits from the players. In a lot of cases, it's taking them away from their families too. And in some of those cases, those families include little children and pregnant wives or girlfriends or partners. And like, it just seems, I mean, as a negotiating ploy, maybe it's a good tactic. It didn't work out that way for MLS. It's pretty clear that they overplayed their hand at the final step a little bit. Um, but you know, maybe ahead of time you can see it as a good tactic. But man, if it is not so, so heartless considering everything going on and considering the fact that the players were, by all accounts, by everything that we've been told from, I think it's fair to say both sides of the equation, the players were a willing negotiating partner here. And the league didn't really bring them in and they shut them out. They didn't communicate with them. And then they threatened them with a lockout. After all of that, after the concessions that they had made, major concessions, um, adding a force majeure clause to the CBA, pushing the CBA back a year um, to save owners money on the back end, um, agreeing you know, to a pay cut, although to be fair, a small pay cut, cons- all things considered, you know, 5% or 7.5%, depending on how you, uh, ac- how you do the accounting. Um, and... And, you know, that was part of the reason why the players gave up elsewhere, gave up ground elsewhere, is because they had a small pay cut for 2020. But, you know, they're just so turned off by this. And one thing that's been striking is that there was real unity. And MLS has a very diverse player pool, right? You know, you have the American guys, you have, and and Canadian guys, I don't want to minimize that, but you have the American and Canadian lifers, the guys who went to college and got drafted and have carved out a career for themselves in the league. And typically, those guys are the guys that are involved in the MLSPA. Um, then you have kind of the big-name stars, right? Um, the Josie Altidores, Michael Bradleys, Carlos Velas, Chicharitos, etc. Um, then you have kind of your international guys, right? The ones who come in on TAM contracts and maybe stay in the league for two or three years. Some of them stay longer and get invested, but a lot of them are here for a brief amount of time. And they're mostly concerned about getting their check on time, right? They don't really need to care about the long-term health of the league. They're only going to be here for a brief period, right? They just they just want to make sure everything's right with their money. And, you know, that's totally fine. I get that. I'm, I would probably be the same way in their situation. But all of those different disparate groups of players came together on this one. And I don't think that was because anything the league was doing in the substance of the negotiations, but I really think it was because of how the league handled it. And it's going to be really interesting to see what the ramifications are, because I think there will be some on a few different levels. And the first and most obvious, I think, 
is, well, if these new force majeure clauses are triggered and the league can decide to walk away from the CBA, well, you're going to end up maybe back at the bargaining table, potentially in January. And if the relationship is in a crappy place, well, those negotiations are going to be tough. Um, and that's going to be really interesting. And man, um, you know, maybe we should, we should start studying up on labor law, Paul, um, and really just, really just dive into this. Um, so that's one. And then the other one, and this is something that according to sources that we've spoken to was vocalized by some of these star players, um, on calls with Don Garber and MLS owners. Um, but a big part of the reason that some of these bigger name players leave Europe and, or even, you know, smaller name, but equally talented players leave South America and join MLS um, towards the end or maybe at the beginning or even in the prime of their careers is because the league has a good reputation for how it treats players. And this has affected that. And whether or not that has ramifications in terms of who MLS can sign, we'll see. Money ends up talking at the end of the day, right? So, you know, the league could correct that. But this is a stain on its reputation, I think. And it's going to be interesting to see what the consequences of it are. Yeah, I think the big question with that, Sam, is, you know, how long do those ramifications last? Because, you know, outside of the idea of coming back to the table in January, the next CBA negotiation is now going to be after the 2025 season. It's a long way away when you're talking about professional athletes. Yeah, the the current union leadership will likely be uh, retired and... You know, probably, Shoot, probably on the other side of the table. Being GMs, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, in addition to that, that same idea of, you know, the players do talk, right? You know, when you when you talk to, for example, Mexican players who have been coming into MLS, you know, they ask other players who have been here, you know, what was the experience like? Argentinian players, for sure. I just did the story on Valeri, and Javi Morales was a huge influence on Valeri to come to Major League Soccer. And so you would expect that, yes, this experience is going to be a part of what those players talk about. Not just not just the negotiations or the threat of a lockout, but the fact that the league was essentially demanding that players leave their families for 8 to 10 weeks during a pandemic and eventually made them leave for 6 weeks. Um, you know, those are the types of things that players are going to share. And and that's where we talk about the in, the impact. Now, how long is that going to be front of mind? Uh, you know, will it matter for a young Argentinian player who's going to get a Barco like contract? No, you know, at that point, it's not. But I think that we must acknowledge that this is going to be a part of what those those players share as their experience in Major League Soccer and. Um, you know, that I think it's certainly worth monitoring and writing about over the next year or so to see how long these feelings linger. And especially if it continues, especially if, you know, these talks have to continue because the coronavirus pandemic and crisis that that um, we're seeing in sports regarding, you know, live sporting events and crowds and all of those things that might bring the players back to the table. You know, we could we could see kind of this on a loop. And at that point, I think, you know, it certainly is going to start to have an impact on on the way foreign players think about coming to this league. Hey, everybody, this is Taylor jumping in one more time to let you know that this episode of Allocation Disorder is brought to you by Hydrant. Uh, as I sit here recording this, it is, I believe, 94 degrees outside, which is slightly hot. Uh, and I think on a day like today, what we all want is sodium, potassium, magnesium and zinc. 
but maybe not in the form that might come to mind. I think of like chalky powders, but that is not the case when it comes to hydrant, because with hydrant, you get those essential electrolytes, but you get them quickly because you mix them into, say, 8 to 16 ounces of water is, I believe, the recommended way to get it done. Uh, But it does hydrate you. It gives you the electrolytes. It gives you a little bit of that extra energy. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan. Uh, And you can choose between three different flavors. You could go all lime, all grapefruit, all blood orange. You could get uh, the variety pack as well, which gives you a little bit of variety. That makes sense. And this is important because temperature aside, uh, when you're suffering from dehydration, that means you're dealing with uh, headaches, energy slumps, poor focus. And that really does make it hard to be productive during the day, especially if you're in a situation when you're working from home, it's already a little bit hard to stay productive. But if you've got flagging energy and a headache, I'm guessing it's going to be even harder to focus. Uh, That will not be the case with Hydrant, nor will it be the case that you're paying 100% because you can get 25% off your first order by going to drinkhydrant.com slash soccer. Uh, That's drinkhydrant.com slash soccer for 25% off your first order. drinkhydrant.com slash soccer, 25% off that first order. Thank you very much to Hydrant for sponsoring today's episode of Allocation Disorder. Now back one last time to Paul and Sam. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And it's also going to be interesting in terms of the strength of the union, I think. Um, because one, one thing that I got talking to a few different players today was that they were all really impressed by the fact that some of the big name guys came out and voiced their concerns um, sometimes in pretty stark tones, I would say it's fair to say, uh, directly to Don Garber on some of these calls that were held with the, you know, any player that wanted to join the commissioner, some of the league executives, and, and in some cases, uh, a small group of, of team owners. Um, and they were really impressed by that. And they were really impressed by the fact that that, as I mentioned earlier, that the, the diverse pool pulled together and it did so in a way that has never, ever happened in MLS history before. And if the union can have that sort of unity and maintain it going forward, and to be clear, I'm going to be totally honest, I don't think it really can. These are extraordinary circumstances, right? Extraordinary. And it, it will be hard for the union to sustain. But, you know, maybe the next time the CBA comes around, they can kind of recreate this atmosphere. And I think that will give them a much, much stronger leverage position, a much stronger bargaining position. Um, And I think I think that could have ramifications um, for the kind of CBA that they could negotiate, whether that's in, you know, January or in 2025. And whatever CBA that gets negotiated will have ramifications for uh, MLS and how fast it grows and ultimately the the growth of soccer in America. So um, and and let's be clear here, though, Sam, right? Like. This is not something where the union sitting back saying we won, you know. No, even, they even gave up a they lot, gave up a man. Lot. They gave up they gave a lot up a in the lot. long term. They they had to give up a lot in the long term in order to save in the short term, right? Essentially, you know, we talk about negotiating points, right? The league came right off the front with a fifty percent pay cut, kind of going the model of the NBA and Major League Baseball with this idea of kind of a pro. Uh, you know, a prorated salary based on the number of games you played. And, you know, simply put, MLS players can't afford that. They're not on MLB salaries or NBA salaries. And and so the trade-off immediately became, well, if you can't take the big cut on the short side, right, on the, the short window here, the front end, then mm-hmm. we're going to have to make up that money, you know, across the number of years. And that led to opening up that CBA and concessions on a number of points within that document. The the major ones are the revenue share, the force majeure being inserted into the, the CBA, 
and rolling everything back by one year and extending the CBA by one year. Those are all major concessions made by the players in order to make sure that MLS got back on the field. And, you and know, in order to make sure that owners save money. Right. And I think that's worth we're talking about. You know, the players gave up a ton and they did that. You know, I think their perspective is they did that because they felt like they needed to be good partners for, for a league that was suffering in the short term. I also but, I also think they needed to do it because it's hard to ask a guy making $63,000 a year to take a 20% pay cut in the here and now, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. And I think you know, but I do think that the end of the negotiations, the 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 willingness to say we're not going to immediately fold when threatened with a work stoppage, that's the part they have to grasp onto. You know, I I right. think the, the willingness to deal, the understanding of the role, all of that's important. I get it. You know, and in, in a lot of ways, the league and the players are partners, right? They, there is still, this league is still very much in the growth form. But, um, you know, they have to have these moments where they show strength, the players do. And I think this was the first major example of that. And it, it wasn't for some huge win. It wasn't to give them some massive gain in the CBA. But it was to say, you know, we do have line a line that you can't cross. And I think that was the first time we've seen that. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, I have a question for you, and maybe it's a little bit loaded, and this is something we've talked about um, as we've talked, spent half the day literally on the phone with each other today and yesterday and every other day for the last week. Um, but do you think if the union took a – or if the union was less willing to be a good partner from the outset, do you think this would have had a different end result? Um, That's a good question. I think – if they had been a little less willing from the onset that yeah i don't know i think i think that they they would have come to some sort of conclusion because you can you can hardline things but you still have the realities that you're facing and those realities are there are too many players in this player pool that couldn't take the upfront hit of salary cuts and i think if you if you really wanted to be kind of hardline as the union you hold firm on the CBA, you say we're not inserting the force majeure. You know that's a that's a fantastic, you know, negotiating point in the next CBA, and we're going to hold out. And I think, you know, ultimately that that point right there, that force majeure clause, I think that would have led to a lockout pretty early on. Um, but they they didn't really have the leverage to do that, right? And and so ultimately, no matter how hard you go early on. You still need leverage points in a negotiation. And, and with the state of the player pool as it is, the state of MLS salaries as they are, the union doesn't have a lot of leverage. And they never have. They're they're trying to gain that leverage over time. So I don't I other than the fact that I think the lockout would have happened a long time ago, I don't think they would have been in a more advantageous position by going harder early on. Yeah, I think I agree with that take pretty much the entire way through. Um, it is an interesting discussion though. Um, should we talk about some of the specifics of what this tournament is going to look like? And, and the fact that all of the details aren't even finalized yet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's MLS, man. Doesn't that feel like so MLS, like this has been a topic of discussion for so long. These negotiations <laughs> have gone on and on and on. They finally come to an agreement and it's like, okay, 
you know, what what are the details of the tournament? Oh, we don't have them yet, but we'll present them to you all at once once they're finalized. Right. And so let me let me talk about a little news, and I haven't put this out there yet. Maybe by the time you listen to it, I will have. Maybe not. Maybe this will be breaking news. Um, as I understand it, and this is from one source, so, you know, it's not quite all the way confirmed yet. Um, it's going to be smaller groups than the previous reporting, um, which was accounting for the 8- to 10-week tournament, and which would have been... Oh, God, help me out here, Paul. Uh, three groups of six and one group of eight. So what I've heard is, you know, it'll be groups of four um, primarily. Um, I believe it'll be four groups of four and two groups of five um, with teams advancing to a knockout round after that. Um, I don't know what that'll look like. Um, there is going to be a cash prize. How that's going to be determined, no one knows yet. Um, and when I say that, I don't mean no one in the media knows. I mean, no one knows. Like Don Garber does not know. Bob Foose, the head of the MLSPA, does not know. The players don't know. They haven't determined it yet. Um, let's see. What else am I missing? Uh, I also, there's also a good deal of uncertainty about where the hotel that the league is going to be staying is. Um, originally it was planned to be the Coronado Springs Resort, which is owned by Disney. Um, I think I mentioned that here a few times. Uh, but now there's talk that the NBA is going to take that hotel. Um, for their Orlando tournament. Um, so, you know, the MLS might get relegated to something else, which will be interesting. Um, and there's, there's just like a lot, like they don't even know when games are going to start. Um, from what I'm told, they will be all on national TV. So there's that. Um, but there's still a lot to figure out here, which is kind of amazing to me. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, let's also acknowledge that part of this is because the league scaled back the Orlando plan significantly as part of these negotiations. Yeah, right? yeah. And they did have more figured out, right, in terms of the competition and all that. And, and, and this is also an evolving situation from multiple angles, right? The NBA also is, is coming close to an agreement with Disney to, to play games there. That's changed the dynamic of these negotiations as well. Um, you know, I think there we have to kind of respect that part of things but um we're only a few weeks away from this thing kicking off and there's not really a clear idea of how it's going to happen what it's going to look like um you know who's going to broadcast which games uh how often those games are going to be played what the prize pool breakdown is going to be uh who who can go who can ask not to go who's approving who doesn't go I mean, let's go down the list of things we still don't know about this tournament. And it, it it's just, it, it's hard to, I think, have faith in um, the operations of this tournament once it gets underway, just because it feels so thrown together. You know, it just feels so thrown together. Yeah, it's bizarre. And, and I get the desire to want to come back um, quickly from the league side. I get it from the players side too. You know, players want to play. This is their job. They want to be able to perform it just like anyone else would want to in this situation. Right. Um, so I get the desire to come back quickly. Um, and I'm sure they, you know, they'll have to figure it out now, but, um, it is, it is just kind of interesting. And I think it raises larger questions, which is something that a player brought up to me today, Paul, of, you know, how exactly is MLS going to pull this off with the manpower that they have? Um, how much are they going to lean on Disney, right? And I, th I would imagine quite a bit because um, this is a massive undertaking when you're talking about quarantining an entire league at a hotel. 
um, during a pandemic and making sure they're all healthy and, 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 you know, testing them. And there's news tonight that an FC Dallas player tested positive. Um, so, you know, who knows how, what kind of wrench that will throw into things, but yeah, man, it's, uh, it's wild. I also think that we have to talk about, I'm kind of excited for it, you know, in a way, this tournament, because... Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, first of all, soccer will be back, right? That's great. Yeah, yeah. Second of all, we have no idea what the quality of this tournament's going to look like. Oh, it's going to be you a know? mess. It's going to be like, but just, like, It's going to be glorious, right? I mean, these are teams that haven't trained together yet still, by the way. Yeah. Have not had full team training. Yeah. They're going to be in Orlando in the middle of summer playing games on youth fields, having essentially had a longer preseason than they had after MLS Cup, off almost, season. maybe not yeah. as long. They, MLS has a crazy long offseason, but like a, a, essentially the same. And they're all going to be on national TV. And at 9 a.m. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> I'm super pumped. I mean, Paul, I, I say it all the time. I haven't said it in a while, but I say it all the time. MLS is a league of chaos, man. And what's going to be more chaotic than this? You know, this is this is going to be peak MLS. This is going to be very on brand. I'm not sure it's going to be beloved by everyone watching. <laughs> but for those of us that appreciate the league for being bizarre and strange um, and, you know, want maybe want to see it lean into the uh, hectic nature and the chaos that is so inherent to its history <laughs> maybe want to see it see it lean into that a little bit more i think it'll be fun and, i mean and think know. about the fun we're going to get to have on this podcast sam because at some point once we Man. know what we players gonna do are we gonna do it every day what are we gonna do no 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 but i'm saying like <laughs> once we know what players are going and are not going like oh, we're, we're gonna get to handicap this tournament like you know and then you got to yeah. try to figure out how are they gonna how are they gonna draw the groups and which teams know. which teams are gonna have an advantage right the what the younger teams with players who can recover faster no and, i'll know, tell you who's gonna, gonna have an advantage teams the, the teams who care that's yeah, who's which gonna teams have the advantage care, do, are the millionaire players gonna care you know you might have a, a better roster but they might be less interested in potentially injuring themselves because they're a little bit more cynical and they recognize the business aspects of their career and they don't want to risk long-term I mean, injury on a tournament like this where you like, can have... L- let's be real. Carlos Vela ain't going to this thing. Like, like I would bet a lot of money on that. He has a pregnant wife um, and she's decently far along and that seems like a pretty good reason to be exempt from it. And he's the best player in the league and he probably ain't going to be there. And what did LAFC look like without Carlos Vela? I mean, I don't... And, Correct me if I'm wrong. Is Chicharito's wife pregnant as well? Yes. Yes. She yeah. Is. So is he going to be there? Like, you know, is Jordan Morris, who's diabetic, is he going to be there? Right. Like there, there are a lot of things at play um, for players that are going to be potentially exempt. And that's going to be on a case by case basis from what we're told. There's no hard and fast rule for who is and who isn't and who qualifies and who doesn't. Um, but yeah, this whole thing is going to be, it's going to be kind of wild. And I mean, I mean, I am excited for it truly. I, I, you know, I, I feel like I have to say this all the time because people like hear us talk, um, about, yeah, they the all league. think we hate MLS. They think we hate MLS. They think we hate, you know, soccer coming back and we're scared of coronavirus. I mean, I'm a little bit scared of coronavirus. I'll be honest about that. But, <laughs> but like, we, we're How sports writers. <laughs> we're sports writers and we cover soccer. It is a good thing for us when soccer is back. We are looking forward know, to these games. These have been the best two months of my career. I, I am personally, super so. excited for Sam 
to get sent to Orlando and for me to watch from the comfort of my home. And, you know, it's going to be great. <laughs> Listen, man, if I go to Orlando, um, you know, I'm taking the rest of the season off after it ends. So there you go. Paid vacation. For That's fine. Cause months. I think the season's going to end in January, 2021. So you can take as much time as you want off once we get there. All right, cool. That's good with me. Speaking of time off, I think that's as good a place as any uh, for us to, to wrap up this podcast. Um, thank you for listening. I hope, uh, that, you know, you enjoyed the second half of the show and I hope that you listened to the first part of the show. Um, and I just want to reiterate again, um, you know, black people are going to lead this movement, but it's on white people and a lot of other people, uh, to support and to affect change. Um, and I'll just say, you know, black lives matter. I think that goes without saying, but it, it really doesn't. So I need to say it. And Paul, I think I can speak for you when I say that I won't, I won't make you chime in and, and do it yourself. Um, even though I'm sure you want to, but whatever. Um, and, and yeah, let's just all be better. Let's all be better. Our society needs to change. It needs to become more just and more equal. So let's all, let's all do the work that we need to do and let's all continue to do it. Um, once this is in his front of mind as it is right now. Um, and with that, um, uh, I'm Sam Stasekul. He is Paul Tenorio, um, signing off until next time. This has been Allocation Disorder.